This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start with a potentially earth-shattering development in Putin's brutal war on Ukraine. Reports of missile strikes inside neighboring Poland this afternoon, killing two people. The Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, blames Russia. U.S. officials say they're still sifting through intelligence. Polish leaders have not yet publicly confirmed a strike. Russia is denying it, though, of course, Russia also denied that that country was going to invade Ukraine. If this attack by Russia did happen, it could have significant consequences. Remember, Poland is a NATO country, unlike Ukraine, a NATO country that President Biden has repeatedly and definitively pledged to defend. Listen. America is fully prepared with our NATO allies to defend every single inch of NATO territory. Every single inch. So, Mr. Putin, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Every inch. The reported missiles hit a farm in a small eastern Polish town just over the Ukrainian border. They killed at least two people. Two Polish government officials tell me this afternoon that an emergency national security meeting was called in Poland tonight. It is, a third Polish official tells CNN, a, quote, crisis situation. Listen to how Ukrainian President Zelensky put it just moments ago. How many times has Ukraine said that the terrorist state will not limit itself to our country? Poland and the Baltics is just a matter of time. Uh, the terrorist has to be put in its place. The the longer Russia feels impunity, the more threats there will be for everyone who can be reached by Russian missiles. It is a Russian attack on collective security. It is a very significant escalation. We have to act now. An attack by Russia on Poland, if that is in fact what happened, would not only be significant because it would mark an escalation of Putin's war, intentionally or not, but because Poland is a member of NATO, as we said, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the alliance set up after World War II as a deterrence against then-Soviet, now-Russian militarism. You're seeing the first shots from the site of the attack just now on your TV. The United States is, of course, also a member of NATO. The cornerstone of the NATO alliance is Article 5 of the NATO Treaty that, quote, an armed attack against one or more of NATO countries shall be considered an attack against them all. It goes on to say that all members will take the actions they deem necessary to assist the ally attacked. Article 5 has only been invoked once in the history of NATO. That was after the United States was attacked on 9-11. So the big questions facing us right now, will an attack on Poland, which became a member state in 1999, will that result in similar action? What if the attack was not intentional? Does that matter, given Russia's aggression? What might any of this mean for U.S. service members, for the principle of deterrence, for world stability in general? This all occurs while leaders from across the globe are gathered in Bali, Indonesia right now, at the G20 summit. CNN's Matthew Chance is in Pshevadov, Poland, the site of the attack, which is right over Ukraine's eastern border, just north of the Ukrainian town of Lviv. Matthew, tell us what you're seeing. Hey, Jake. Well, I mean, this is just a one street town, very close to the uh, Ukrainian or the Polish border with Ukraine. You can see it's very late at night here. It's pitch black. It's freezing cold. 
and the police have sealed off the road which leads to that location uh, where that apparent rocket strike uh, took place. So we're not being permitted to go any closer. There's a few local media that have arrived here so far, but it's such a, a remote place that the main media organisations that are destined to be covering this have not yet arrived. I've managed to speak to a few of the local residents. There's a school just 200 yards or so away from where this strike took place. The caretaker of that school told me it took place around three o'clock in the afternoon, local time. It is uh, what, you know, kind of more like 10 o'clock at, at night here now. Um, she said she felt this enormous explosion. The windows rattled um, in, in the school building. And that's, of course, uh, as a result of the big explosion uh, that took place. Um, locals saying that two farm workers were killed uh, in, in, that, uh, in that explosion. It, it hasn't been determined yet, of course, that these were Russian rockets. The Russians have denied it. They've said this is a provocation, the suggestion that they would have attacked um, uh, Polish territory. But you have to remember that, that these rockets or these explosions took place at a time when Ukraine, just across the border, four or five miles away, was being showered with more than 80 rockets uh, from uh, Russia in, into various locations. And so it's easy to imagine how some of those rockets, a couple of them, uh, could have strayed just across the border, Jake. That's right. Matthew Chance at the site of the missile strike in Poland. Uh, thank you so much. We turn now for reaction. Uh, CNN's Sam Kiley is in central Ukraine for us. Sam, what are you hearing from Ukrainian officials about this shocking missile strike uh, just over the border in Poland. Well, here in Krivri, you can probably hear the air raid sirens going off once again at the end of a day that, as Matthew has said, saw uh, Ukraine being showered with uh, cruise missiles and other missiles right across the country. Seven million people in this country being left without power. President Zelensky calling this an example of a continued example of Russian terror, saying outright that he believed that, it, that he said outright that two Russian rockets had hit Poland and that was part of the inevitable side effects or, or consequences of Russia's aggression against Ukraine. He also observed, of course, that Moldova was suffering power outages as a consequence <clears throat> of a natural disconnection between the services of uh, Moldova and Ukraine. But things have been pretty devastating across this country with these attacks on critical national infrastructure, the electrical supplies, residential buildings hit in Kiev with two Ukrainians at least killed there. A very significant level of airstrikes all coming just a few days effectively after the Russians lost Kherson and after at the G20 uh, the Russians were told <coughs> in no uncertain terms the terms of engagement that the Ukrainians will be prepared to engage in, Jake. All right, Sam Kiley in Ukraine, <coughs> thank you so much. Let's bring in CNN's Phil Manningly, who's at the high-stakes G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia. Phil, what are you hearing from the U.S. and other world leaders there after these reports of missile strikes within Poland, bo Poland's borders, the Ukrainians blaming Russia? Yeah, Jake, it's a little bit after 5 a.m. here right now. World leaders went to bed, including President Joe Biden, very aware and keeping a very close eye on, according to one U.S. official, the dozens of missile strikes that have been taking place across Ukraine. U.S. officials have also been aware of the reports of a potential strike or a, some kind of strike 
uh, in Poland for the last several hours. Now, at this point, White House officials are saying they have no confirmation as to the origin of that strike or the exact details. However, they are in conversations with the Polish government, as you noted, uh, that had been in the midst of an emergency meeting. U.S. intelligence is also engaged on this as well, trying to figure out exactly what happened before weighing in both on the president's response and the next steps for the U.S. One thing to keep in mind here at this G20 summit, the war in Ukraine and Russia's invasion of Ukraine has really been the backdrop of almost everything that world leaders have been discussing, including uh, an effort, a furious effort to diplomatically by U.S. officials to rally as many countries as possible to sign on to a declaration condemning the war in Ukraine. Whether it was about food shortages, electricity, this has been kind of at the center of all of the discussions here in Bali. One other thing else to note, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, did not come to Bali. He did send uh, his foreign secretary or his foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. Lavrov was in the room giving his own speech, which reflected many of President Putin's largely false talking points over the course of the day yesterday. But he has since departed, according to a U.S. official. There is still a Russian delegation here on the ground. One thing, as you noted, to keep in mind, President Biden has been unequivocal about the commitment to Article 5. President Biden visited Poland in March, visited U.S. troops in March while he was there. They're on the front lines defending uh, a NATO country. What happens next is extremely critical, extremely high stakes, but U.S. officials making clear they want to make sure they know everything about what happened before they take any next steps, Jake. All right, Phil Mattingly traveling with President Biden to the G20 summit. Thank you so much. Let's bring in CNN Chief National Security Correspondent Jim Shudo, CNN Global Affairs Analyst Susan Glasser, and the former NATO Supreme Allied Commander General Philip Breedlove. Uh, Jim, let me start with you. you. U.S. officials still have not determined whose missile this was, if it was intentional, if it was in fact a Russian attack. What, what are your sources telling you? I've spoken with a U.S. military official, with a senior NATO official, as well as with a member of the House Intelligence Committee. And all of them are urging caution at this point because they don't have a final answer. It is significant, any strike, particularly one that is deadly on the territory of a NATO member, but they don't know the circumstances of this strike. The possibilities include a Russian missile, either deliberate or potentially off target, the possibility of a Russian missile that was struck by Ukrainian air defense, or even the possibility that this was a Ukrainian air defense missile fired at a Russian missile. The timing of this is key. Of course, it took place during a large Russian missile strike across the Ukrainian territory, including on the western part of the country, just across that border from Poland. But, but at this point, fact is they just don't know. And until they know those details, uh, they will not then decide how they respond. I will say this. I spoke to a U.S. lawmaker who said to me uh, that he is surprised this hasn't happened yet, given the number of missiles that Russia has fired at Ukrainian territory uh, since the start of its invasion in February, and given, uh, as I've been cautioned many times, Jake, the fact that Russian aim is not particularly great all the time. And General Breedlove, I guess that's the question. Assuming this was, in fact, a Russian rocket, if the, the, the best, kindest interpretation is that this was a Russian rocket headed for Ukraine uh, that was either shot down or misfired and hit Poland instead. Does that matter when invoking Article 5 of NATO's treaty? Does it matter if, the, if it was an intentional attack on Poland or not? Well, first, I would offer that Article 5 is not the logical or normally the next step. The next step would be Article 4. This is in the hands of Poland now to bring this in an Article 4 uh, meeting to the NAC to decide how to proceed. We, it's very rare that we would jump straight to an Article 5. 
And Article 4 would involve those conversations like you've just been having with your other guests. Do we believe it was deliberate? Was it a misfire? And and, and I would offer that as many missiles have has been fired at Ukraine in just the last you know, half a day, this may have been a part of that volley and it may have been a misfire. But in any case, it is clear, and I think we will find out that a Russian missile went into uh, Poland and killed some people. And now uh, NATO will begin its deliberation. And Susan, how do you see this playing out? Uh, Let's assume once again that this was not an intentional attack on Poland, given the fact that there are no, as far as I know, and according to a Ukrainian official I was talking to, uh, no military or strategic targets in this part of Poland, in this rural part of eastern Poland. What happens now, do do you think? Well, Jake, look, at a minimum, it underscores, and I think it will reinforce uh, the desire of Ukraine supporters in NATO uh, uh, and the United States, which there are many, to keep up the pressure to supply more uh, uh, air defense to Ukraine and uh, to bolster their fight against Russia even more. Uh, It certainly has an alienating quality, if nothing else. I also think it reinforces the extreme high risk of the situation. In many ways, it is a surprise that it hasn't sooner. But to the point about what's a target, remember that this barrage today, the largest yet, according to Ukrainian officials, by Russia against Ukraine, these are civilian targets that they're hitting. This is a civilian population. It's not like they were looking for a military target in Lviv and just missed. Uh, You know, this is a campaign of terror by the Russian military against the Ukraine people. Just happened that it appears that some Polish uh, people also got caught up in it today. And General Breedlove, there are currently 10,000 U.S. service members stationed in Poland as part of a NATO coalition, uh, as according to the State Department. Take us inside those ranks right now uh, as a former NATO Supreme Allied commander. What preparations, if any, could be happening? Well, we those forward base forces are already at uh, sort of an increased posture to be ready and to defend and think about their own defense. But this could cause us to step up that level of self-preparedness inside of Poland. And my guess is that we will now see some in increased ask for NATO air defenses along Polish border, Romanian border, others that are, that are a part or close to these barrages that were just mentioned. And let me just join those remarks. This is a campaign against the people of Ukraine. It has very little military utility. And Jim, uh, weigh in there if you would, because I I know uh, you you know a lot about this topic. Listen, you and I have spent time in Ukraine since the start of this invasion. We've covered it closely since then. As Susan and General Breedlove say, the, the fact that Russia has hit civilian targets across Ukraine repeatedly through the months is deliberate. It, it's a campaign against the people, against civilian in- infrastructure to try to bleed the country, uh, bleed the country dry, really raise, raise the pain threshold so that they somehow give in, which, of course, they've shown no sign of doing. So the idea that that potentially bled into uh, Polish territory is, is certainly not far-fetched. And, and as I said, get, given the volume of ordnance that, that Russia has sent Ukraine's way, way since the start of this war, folks I've talked to are surprised that it, it didn't happen earlier. And Susan, um, Putin has been notoriously unpredictable thus far. Um, you see him acting out of desperation, do you not? 
You know, Jake, what Putin is, is an escalator uh, again and again and again, even when uh, suffering reverses on the battlefield, he has turned to escalation. And I think it's not an accident uh, that we're seeing this terrible barrage across Ukraine against civilians uh, and uh, things like civilian infrastructure uh, just days after those scenes of jubilation in the liberation of Kherson. Uh, you know, Russia suffered a very embarrassing defeat when forced to withdraw its forces across the Dnieper River and leave Kherson. And I think that the Putin response here is escalation. And again and again, this is him saying, uh, you know, I'm going to change the subject. I'm not backing away and I will meet defeats uh, with further risky behavior. General Breedlove, do you agree? I do. And, and I would also like to pile on something that was said just a few minutes earlier. We know that Russia is dipping now into less capable mm. munitions because they fired most of their most accurate and capable munitions earlier in this war. And so as a part of this big barrage that was unleashed today, it would not surprise me if we have an errant missile. But clearly, I, I completely agree with this is an attempt to change the narrative. Mm. Russia is losing in the South. And they don't want that to be the story, especially as their own people mm. are beginning to hear the yeah. stories. Yeah. General Philip Breedlove, Jim Shudo, Susan Glasser, thanks to one and all of you. Appreciate it. Coming up next, we'll get reaction to this strike from the top Democrat on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Also ahead, Republicans are only three seats shy of winning control of the House of Representatives. And Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy gets one step closer to becoming Speaker. Stay with us. Back now with more in our breaking news, reports of a missile strike in Poland today killing two people, a strike that the Ukrainian government is blaming on Vladimir Putin and Russia. Let's bring in Congressman Gregory Meeks of New York. He's the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, Mr. Chairman, what are you hearing about this report that Russian missiles or rockets possibly have struck Poland and killed two individuals? Can you confirm that? Well, I know that we are trying to confirm everything. I've been on the phone uh, with the White House and talking. We're trying to get confirmation and talking to our NATO allies uh, to try to make sure there's a lot to, uh, to, to, to sink in. I've been listening uh, to your reports as well as others and trying to call the, uh, uh, the, 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 the Polish ambassador. Uh, I've heard some on an, on, on an international station uh, having a Polish reporter on who said that he's interviewed some individuals that uh, were hit. Now, so the question is, who, um, why, was it an accident, was it intentional? A lot of information to obtain because there's serious consequences uh, to what uh, did or did not take place, Jake. And as you know, uh, I've been to Poland uh, post the uh, illegal invasion uh, that uh, uh, Russia put into Ukraine. I know how serious that border is. I've been there two, three times. Uh, and... Uh, and that has always been a concern. Uh, so we're going to stand with our NATO allies, but we want to make sure that we have all of the facts. Yeah, I've been to that Polish border on Ukraine as well. Um, let me ask you, let's assume just for the sake of discussion that it was a Russian missile. What is the significance about whether it was an intentional strike, they were trying to hit this area of eastern Poland, or they were trying to hit civilians in Ukraine and either Ukrainian air defenses or a misfire ended up landing in Poland. Doesn't the fact that they are behaving so irresponsibly and waging this aggressive war against Ukraine to, to play devil's advocate, doesn't it make it irrelevant given the fact that they're responsible either way? 
Well, look, I think that that's going to all be taken into consideration. Uh, of course, we all stand by Article 5, and that's why uh, the conversation and the connection with our NATO allies, I think there will be a joint decision. It won't be anyone making a decision by themselves. Uh, we will stand together. But what I've seen coming from all of the foreign ministers and prime ministers from our uh, NATO allies is, number one, we will protect every inch of, uh, of NATO soil. Uh, but having that dialogue and having that conversation, and I would say uh, to Russia, if in fact it was an accident, they better say it and say it quickly. Uh, but to say, uh, as I've heard thus far them saying, that this was provocation by the Polish uh, government or the Polish people, uh, this is absolutely ridiculous to me. Uh, and, you know, so I have concerns, and my concerns are based upon their prior acts. You know, first they said they were not going to invade uh, Ukraine in the first place, and of course they did. And we've seen them set up certain, uh, by, by utilizing various lies uh, to, do, to give them uh, the, the, the excuses to invade and do some other things that are, in, that, that, uh, that are clearly uh, provocative. So, um, look, I, I think that everything's going to take into consideration, but I do think that uh, if it was an accident, uh, Russia better speak up and say something very quickly. If it was not an accident, does this action solicit U.S. response? And does it solicit U.S. response even if it was uh, an accident? As you know, Poland is one of our NATO allies whom the United States and President Biden directly have pledged to protect uh, during Putin's war on Ukraine. Article 5, if Article 5 is, uh, you know, is applied, uh, then the United States will stand uh, with our article uh, with our NATO allies and we will do what what we have to do to protect Poland and our allies there and I think that every NATO country you know I've looked and listened to every response that's been made we will be locked in it will be a collective decision uh, we've been able to keep and one of the reasons why I think that Ukraine has been able to continue to do what it's doing to defend itself is the fact that we have been resolute in our unity uh, and so that will not be uh, will not be broken. Uh, and that's why the White House is talking uh, very closely right now with all of our NATO allies. And they will then come up with, after they uh, dis have clear what the facts are in this case, uh, they will then collectively come up with a decision. Uh, and as I said, I think that, you know, it is very important because the consequences uh, could be grave as to what did or did not take place. All right. The chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman Gregory Meeks of New York. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jay. Mark Esper is also going to join me. He served as secretary of defense during the Trump administration. We'll get his reaction to the strike and the lines and the lies that we're hearing from Russia. That's next. And we're back with our breaking news. Polish officials confirming moments ago that two people are dead in eastern Poland following an explosion. This comes after reports that a possible Russian missile struck Poland just over the border of Ukraine. Details are coming in. I'd like to bring in the former Secretary of Defense, uh, Mark Esper. Uh, and, and to be clear, uh, Mark, you know, we, we don't yet know for sure what happened here. That said, the Ukrainians are saying that this was Russia. Um, we have reporting that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, your successor, is expected to talk with his Polish counterparts shortly. Tell us, in your view, given your experience, what might that conversation sound like? What would the Pentagon be doing right now? Well, thank you, Jake. I, I think first things first, if I were having that conversation with my counterpart, 
would be to understand what they know and what they don't know. What have they determined, for example, from the forensics on the ground with regard to uh, the componentry? Is it Russian or is it not Russian? Are there any targets nearby that might signal that it was an intentional attack? And then we would compare, uh, for example, notes based on what we understand from our radar tracks, trying to get to the bottom of it, and then trying to understand from the Polish perspective, what are they thinking, uh, not just in their defense ministry, but with, throughout the government and where they think this may go. So sharing sharing those ideas and, of course, expressing solidarity with my counterpart would be very important. And I assume that the Secretary of Defense and, and those under him would be gaming out responses based on what the facts on the ground ultimately prove. I mean, it could be a random explosion. I doubt that's what it is, but it could be that. It could be uh, a, a, a Ukrainian air defense missile that accidentally hit in Poland. It could be any number of things. And, of course, the worst possible uh, idea would be that it was a deliberate Russian attack on Poland, which could theoretically uh, cause the invocation of Article 5 of NATO, an attack on one is an attack on all. Is that what the Pentagon would be doing right now, preparing contingencies and choices based on any number of what uh, possibilities there are? Well, the command, European command, and, and SACUR in particular, would have contingencies ready. But I, I think the first part is important. You have to go through a very deliberate process to find out what happened. Was it intentional or not? I mean, my suspicion is this was accidental. It was based on either poor targeting by the Russians or malfunction in the missile, whatever the case may be. But the key thing is to deliberately proceed through this, get the facts, understand the facts, come to your conclusion, and then figure out what you're going to do. And again, if our suspicions hold true, then I think this would require a strong diplomatic response to the Russians, beginning with uh, demands for a full explanation by Moscow as to what happened and some uh, uh, commitment by them to take different measures to ensure it doesn't happen again. And, and put this into context, if you would, uh, about how this happens in, in the midst of this desperation by Russia. We know Putin is losing ground in Ukraine. We know that they've been um, launching missile attacks on Ukrainian civilian targets in the last day. Um, even if, if this is an accident, assuming that, it, it, that it's a Russian missile that hit Poland, not Ukrainian air defense, um, is, not, is this not a direct response in, in some ways to Putin losing on the ground? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a direct response to the, uh, the recent withdrawal from Kherson, the only major uh, city that the Russians had captured going back to the early days of the, world, uh, of the war, followed by the announcement today, I think, by uh, President Zelensky of his 10 points, if you will, of, of how, what negotiations should look like. So I, I think this is all about the tactical failure on the ground and the broader strategic failure. But look, here's another thing to keep in mind. The Ukrainians have been under this aerial assault now for weeks, uh, if not months. And uh, today, dozens of missiles fired in Ukrainian cities all across the country designed to knock out their energy infrastructure as we head into the winter. I think the question we should be focusing on, and not, not to take attention from the tragedy that happened today, but why does Ukraine not have all the air defense assets it needs to shoot down Russian planes and missiles and rockets? If this was an accidental Russian um, uh, launch, Think of all the territory of Ukraine that, that it, it had to overfly before it hit into, into Poland. So we should be rushing air defense systems uh, to Ukraine uh, to, to make sure we can cover that country, particularly the key cities and energy infrastructure. But we just don't seem to be moving quickly enough and haven't for some time now, Jake. I heard uh, an expert on Russia talking the other day, and he was saying that he thinks it's very important 
that NATO and the United States start seriously considering what Putin's off-ramp looks like in terms of providing some sort of face-saving off-ramp, because otherwise Putin could be killed by the Russians for losing this war, and if he really feels like his life is at risk, he could do something drastic like launch a nuclear weapon or use a tactical nuke. Um, Do you agree with that, and what might a face-saving off-ramp look like? I think we should be very careful and reluctant to start playing these games of getting into Putin's head and trying to figure out if this happens, that happens, we do this, we do that. Look, I think we should stay true to our principles. We should support the Ukrainians, give the full support of uh, material and, and weapon systems and equipment they need to win the war. The way to beat uh, Putin is to beat Putin. And the Ukrainians are showing great courage and capability on the battlefield and are doing so and, uh, and let things play out. And look, if the Russian people want to take the matter into their own hands with regard to Putin, that would be a good thing, right? But I don't think we should start, you know, pushing Zelensky to negotiate or to compromise with the Russians. He needs to do what's best for his country. And look, they're fighting for their lives. And uh, I think we should fully support them in that endeavor. All right. Former Defense Secretary Mark Esper, thank you so much. Good to see you again. This just in. We're learning that President Biden has been briefed on the missile strike in Poland and will be speaking with the president of Poland shortly. This is also, we might note, a busy day in the politics lead. We have a brand new CNN projection to make right after this break. And CNN can now make two significant projections impacting the balance of power in the House of Representatives in California. Republican Congresswoman Michelle Steele, CNN projects, has won re-election to a second term. She's a Republican. She was one of the first Korean Americans ever elected to Congress. In New Mexico, it's a pickup for the Democrats. Former Las Cruces City Councilman Gabriel Vasquez has defeated incumbent Evett Harrell. This win helps keep Democrats slim chances of retaining the House in place, though Republicans are still favored. Let's take a look now at the new balance of power in the House of Representatives. Right now, of the 218 seats needed for a House majority, Democrats have 205 seats. Republicans have 216. They only need Two more. There are 14 outstanding seats that have yet to be called. One full week since Election Day, the message from Americans is becoming more clear. Election deniers in battleground states especially need not apply. CNN projects that Democrat Katie Hobbs will win the Arizona governor's race. She beats one of the most fervent election deniers in the United States, Republican Carrie Lake. Here's Hobbs just hours ago. But for those of you who prefer to obstruct, spread misinformation, and continue to pursue an extreme agenda out of touch with this state, take note of the results of this election. Governor-elect Katie Hobbs there speaking. Her opponent, whom she defeated, Carrie Lake, joins a list of high-profile election liars who lost their races in battleground states, including Blake Masters running for Senate in Arizona, Tudor Dixon, running for governor of Michigan. Adam Laxalt, who ran for Senate in Nevada. Doug Mastriano, ran for governor in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, also lost. This is just a snapshot of the most high-profile races. CNN projects in total 29 election liars have lost races for Secretary of State and governor and the U.S. Senate. Americans not only rejecting their election lies, but also their hostile and sometimes obnoxious campaign styles. I've seen better elections in Afghanistan, not hyperbole. For someone so worried about being kidnapped, 
Gretchen Whitmer sure is good at taking business hostage and holding it for ransom. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. Apparently the American people don't like jerks. Last night, Carrie Lake tweeted out after it was projected that she would lose the election, quote, Arizonans know BS when they see it. She's right there. She's right. Arizonans know BS when they see it, and they rejected it in the form of candidates Carrie Lake and Blake Masters. What's also becoming more clear today, Republicans are on the verge of controlling the House of Representatives. They need just two more seats to win the House majority. Winning the House would be a small victory for the party after disastrous election losses. CNN's projects that Democrats will hold the Senate majority. And that has many Republicans questioning now whether Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell is the right person to continue leading that faction of the party. Listen to what Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri and Ted Cruz of Texas, two election liars themselves, told CNN's Manu Raju today. Clearly what we're doing isn't working. It hasn't been working for a long time. They didn't want to have an agenda. So you don't think you could get you back to the majority? No. I believe we should have a leader that actually listens to the conference and that is willing to stand and fight, doesn't roll over immediately. We should note that Holly and Cruz, both of them endorsed and supported strongly extremist Republicans that lost those races in Arizona and elsewhere, allowing the Democrats to keep control of the Senate. So it's interesting that they're going after McConnell. As Republicans inch closer to securing the House majority, Kevin McCarthy pulled off a win of his own. He secured his role once again as leader of the House Republican Conference. Not the same thing as being elected speaker, of course. CNN's Manu Raju is on Capitol Hill, where McCarthy successfully defeated a challenge from Arizona Republican Congressman Andy Biggs today. House Republicans today nominated Kevin McCarthy to be the next Speaker of the House. Thank you all for being here. Winning 188 votes, well short of the 218 he will need in January to take the gavel. Now's the time to get all the air, all the grievances, and that way we're ready to go on day one. Thank you all for being here today. Facing opposition from Arizona's Andy Biggs and hard right members who are trying to extract concessions. We want leadership. And I think Andy Biggs embodies the kind of leadership that we want. All coming as the GOP closes in on the House majority. Democrats expecting two years of internal GOP sparring between their moderate and conservative wings. I think that this version of the Republican caucus is going to have a very hard time governing uh, in any way, shape or form. And I think that we'll see just how dysfunctional they are. But House Democrats preparing for their own leadership shakeup. Once Nancy Pelosi decides whether to stay atop the caucus she has dominated for the past two decades. Congressman Jim Clyburn, currently the number three Democrat, told CNN he plans to stay in leadership but won't run for the top position, potentially paving the way for Hakeem Jeffries to lead the caucus if Pelosi steps aside. Could it be the top leader position you're considering running for? No, it won't be that. Yet as Democrats defy the odds, they too confronting their own reality. After moderate member Kurt Schrader was defeated in his Oregon primary by a progressive, who in turn lost to a Republican in the fall. We are supposed to be a big tent party historically. We should get back to that. In the Senate, Democrats taking a victory lap after holding the Senate, but some Republicans taking out their ire at Mitch McConnell. Florida Senator Rick Scott plans to run against him in Wednesday's leadership elections. What's the problem of having McConnell as leader for another two years? Oh, well, I mean, if you like the election results, I guess there is no problem. But if you want to be a majority majority party, 
clearly what we're doing isn't working. So you don't think he could get you back to the majority? No. McConnell pushing back. I think the outcome is pretty clear. I want to repeat again. Uh, I have the votes. I will be elected. The only issue is whether we do it sooner or later. Yet Republicans also uneasy about the reemergence of Donald Trump as a likely presidential candidate and what that means for their party. The world has changed considerably um, in uh, just in recent weeks. Now, behind closed doors, Rick Scott and Mitch McConnell engaged in a tense back and forth, I'm told, about the future, about what happened in the lead, in uh, the midterms. And I just asked Mitch McConnell about the criticism that he did not support an election year agenda, which exposes party to attacks. He said instead the problem was some people in leadership roles in their party engaged in too much negativity and chaos. He did not single out a single person, though. Jake? All right, Manu thanks so much. Coming up next, the loudest election liar of them all may be ready to make a big announcement about his future. Stay with us. In just a few hours, we are expecting Donald J. Trump to announce his third presidential bid. This comes just a week after many of the candidates Trump backed failed spectacularly in the midterm election. CNN's Kristen Holmes is at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. Uh, Kristen, is, is Trump still the true frontrunner for Republicans, do you think? Well, Jake, when he enters this race, which we are expecting him to do in just a few hours, he will be the de facto frontrunner as the only candidate running so far in 2024. But when it comes to whether or not he's the actual leader of the party, that remains increasingly unclear. It is undeniable that he still has a lot of influence within the party. But we have heard a number of Republicans, even those who are close to him, say it's time to move on from Donald Trump. Even some saying that Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, is the new leader of the Republican Party. Now, when we point this out to aides and advisors, ahead of this announcement, they say that Trump points to 2015, 2016, saying that he runs best when he is the underdog, when he has to have be scrappy and fight for it. But I have to tell you, I've talked to allies, allies across the country who say they're just not sure he has the same magnetism that he had back in 2015, 2016 to carry him to the White House, particularly amid so many federal investigations, as well as the fact that he will not stop with that election denialism, which, as we know, fizzled out on Tuesday day during the election. All right, Kristen Holmes, thank you so much. Former Vice President Mike Pence will join me tomorrow for a live CNN town hall. That's tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern, only on CNN. CNN was the first crew in Poland near the border with Ukraine where the explosion was reported, an explosion that may have been caused by Russian missiles. We're going to go back there live next. Stay with us. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, new CNN projections just in, putting Republicans even closer closer to securing control of the U.S. House of Representatives. And a secret ballot vote today puts Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy that much closer to becoming the next Speaker of the House. Plus, CNN given exclusive access to the water treatment plant at the center of a water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. See exactly why the problems could persist for years to come. And leading this hour, the breaking news, a reported missile strike beyond the borders of Ukraine, hitting Poland, NATO territory. CNN has the first international news team at the scene. So let's go right to CNN's Matthew Chance. He's on the ground in Chevodov, Poland. Matthew, tell us what new you're learning. Well, there's a, a lot big of, lot of activity taking place here right now as the Polish authorities, as you can see, 
they've sealed off this street here, which leads directly to the location where that apparent rocket strike missile landing um, happened. They won't let us go any closer than this, but uh, the Polish authorities have now confirmed officially within the past few minutes that two people were killed uh, in this in this incident. Uh, local residents who I've spoken to uh, said that they, they knew those people. They were farmers working on a farm just a short distance from here, about 200 yards or so uh, in this kind of direction, in a field basically over there. Uh, a few there's pictures circulating of farm equipment that's been destroyed and those two people uh, killed as well. Um, locals have spoken to me about how they heard a huge, terrifying whoosh uh, as this, just before the explosion took place. The explosion itself rattled the windows of a local school. I spoke to the caretaker inside that school and she told me about that. The children had all gone home, uh, fortunately, but nevertheless, a terrifying experience. And it's one that could have um, implications as well for regional security, of course, because Poland is a member of NATO. It's not confirmed that these are uh, Russian rockets. In fact, the Russians have denied it, saying that this is a provocation to suggest that these uh, weapons are from are from Russia. Uh, but that's what's being investigated right now. That's why these Polish teams are coming to this location here. And it's uh, what close to 11 o'clock at night here, local time, to try and establish exactly what kind of weaponry this was and who may be behind it. All right, Matthew Chance at the site of this suspected missile strike in Poland. Thanks so much. CNN's Phil Mattingly is in Bali, Indonesia for us at the G20 summit. And Phil, it's still quite early where you are, but we're hearing President Biden has been briefed on this situation. Yeah, that's right, Jake. It's just after 6 a.m. and what is expected to be President Biden's final day of his foreign trip, six-day foreign trip. And it was early this morning when the president was woken up by his team and briefed on the explosion on the ground in Poland. Now, the president's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, spoke to his Polish counterpart. Uh, and the president himself has just concluded about 30 minutes ago a phone call with the Polish president. This has been a process that one U.S. official described to me as methodical, as U.S. officials try and get a sense of what exactly happened on the ground. There has been no confirmation of the origin of what landed on the Polish side of the border, but there is an understanding and a very uh, vivid one at that about the repercussions uh, of what this may mean. Obviously, as a NATO ally, the Article 5 commitment that the president has been so unequivocal about over over the course of the nine months of Russia's war against Ukraine, that really hangs heavy over everything here. But U.S. officials making clear they don't have all the details yet. And until they confirm exactly what happened, they will not say anything or lay out potential next steps. One thing to be sure of, obviously, the president here at the G20 summit, where Russia's invasion and war against Ukraine has been the central focus over the course of the last 48 hours. Many of those leaders are, have been closely united with the U.S. in the response to that war over the course of the last several months. The president has been very clear that he doesn't want to do anything unilaterally in the response to what's been happening on the ground in Ukraine. That will most likely be the case here as well. All those leaders on the ground. Now, there are two events scheduled for the president today. We don't have any idea right now whether or not his schedule will shift uh, but we do know the president has been briefed. The president has spoken to his counterpart in Poland. So has the president's team. U.S. intelligence is still in the midst of gathering information, trying to definitively uh, identify what transpired here. But the president very awake, very aware of what's going on and already talking to his counterparts in Poland and elsewhere. Jake. All right. Phil Mattingly traveling with President Biden in Bali, Indonesia. Thanks so much. Let's bring in President Zelensky's former spokesperson right now, Yulia Mandel. She's in Kiev, Ukraine. Yulia, let me get your reaction to the breaking news. Missiles 
hitting in Poland? What are you hearing from your sources in the government about who may be responsible and what is definitely known at this point? Well, okay, let me say that uh, Ukraine considers that this is the part of the largest missile attack that Russia has uh, done to Ukraine today because the missiles really were uh, striking almost every region of Ukraine and easily could cross the border to Poland. But let me say that Poland has already taken the decision to increase its combat readiness of several units, military units that uh, are situated near the border with Poland because Poland, of course, is very concerned. And President uh, Polish President uh, Andrzej Duda is going to have another meeting of its Security Council tomorrow because of this. Well, we are very cautioned, of course, about that. And we understand that Russian missile already recently has hit the territory of Moldova. And so possibly that it could easily hit the territory of Poland. Let me remind you that Russia already attacked uh, the region of Ukraine, which is Lviv region, which is like dozens of miles from Russian border earlier. And there were Hundred, uh, hundreds of uh, victims because of those uh, Russian missile attacks on Ukraine. Now, Russia, obviously, the Russian government no, Russia, um, lies. Um, they lied, and they've lied throughout this entire process. Obviously, they lied. They said they were never going to invade Ukraine to begin with. So I don't, I want to ask this question, acknowledging that I don't really believe them, but I should note they deny, the Kremlin denies that it had anything to do with these strikes. They call this a deliberate provocation. How do you respond to that? They said that this is deliberate provocation for the escalation. And let me remind today that Mr. Lavrov, who is the Minister of Foreign Affairs, left Bali today, the G20 summit. And before that, he had a very open comment to media that was saying another conspiracy, that the West... Uh, allegedly by Russian conspiracy was supporting the war in Ukraine, was supporting Ukrainian, some neo-Nazi conspirological uh, government, which means that Russia itself tries to escalate the diplomacy, tries to escalate the propaganda thing. So um, I, uh, our Minister of Foreign Affairs already said that Russia tries to spread the lies that this was Ukraine a defense system that uh, hit uh, uh, Polish territory. But uh, we already denied as a Oh, we, uh, she, Yulia just froze up there. She's, she's back. Okay. okay. Uh, Yulia, there were several explosions just a few miles from you in, in Kiev today. Um, how are you doing? What can you tell us about that? Let me say that right now there is another air alert in Kyiv and it started like 10 minutes uh, before and there are several regions that also have sirens uh, in Ukraine right now. So today there was the largest missile attack of Russia on Ukraine since the beginning of its large-scale invasion and the last explosion that happened in Kyiv was so close to my house that I had my windows trembling. Uh, I don't know if there are many victims. We know at least about one person who died, and there were residential buildings that were hit today. But this is they are defeated by Ukrainian army with the help of Western partners on the battleground, and that's why they are sending missiles to civilian infrastructure to kill civilians, and in this way try to make us uh, defeat, surrender. Uh, let me say that just in an hour before this largest missile uh, attack on Ukraine, I learned that there were 14 Russian military jets flying with the missiles. Each jet would have at least eight missiles. 
So we were uh, accounting that there would be 112 missiles and Ukrainian air defense system with the help of Western partners managed to shoot down 73 missiles. All others hit the civilian infrastructure with huge problems with the light, electricity, water, heating in different regions. And still here that Russia keeps attacking. So definitely Russia behaves not less than as a, as a terrorist state. What do you think is behind Putin's latest missile barrage? Do you agree with the top Ukrainian official who says that this is Russia retaliating for Zelensky's speech to the G20? Well, uh, you know, Zelensky at least uh, was open about negotiations for peace. Like, I mean, he said uh, definitely that there were the conditions, preconditions for a peace deal, and definitely they were dealing not only with Ukraine. Uh, They were meant to stop blackmail of Russia in different sectors globally, like, for instance, of the world and the energy blackmail to stop this uh, financial crisis that walks around the globe. And of course, to keep Ukraine safe and security guarantees for Ukraine. And of course, about the nuclear threat, because this is something absolutely unacceptable. So what we've heard that Russia absolutely uh, uh, reacted uh, uh, in, in an absolutely aggressive way. And of course, let me say that they are very disappointed by the loss of Kherson region, which is my hometown region. And they see that Ukrainians are celebrating it and they can they need to retreat this is already a, a systematic retreat of russian troops from ukraine because let me remind you that they retreated from kiev kharkiv and Kherson. so obviously they are uh, angry but this is only the russia who is guilty in everything that is going on in ukraine and actually globally with the crisis uh, in different countries and of course with its defeat because uh, it meets the unification of the civilized world who mm-hmm. fight for freedom for who fight for our future. All right, Yulia Mandel, thank you so much. Coming to us live from Kiev, Ukraine. As President Biden is briefed on the suspected strike in Poland, I'm going to speak with one of his closest allies. And just in, CNN speaking with the mayor of Uvalde, Texas, after new audio surfaces proving a top police officer knew that children were in danger but failed to act. Might this lead to more resignation? Stay with us. We're back with more of our breaking news reports that missiles or rockets from Russia allegedly landed in Poland today, killing two people. Let's bring in Democratic Senator Chris Coons from Delaware. He's a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and he was just in the region about a week and a half ago. Senator, what do you know for a fact about this explosion in Poland? Was it, in fact, a Russian rocket or missile that struck uh, and killed two individuals in Poland? And uh, what's your reaction? Uh, Well, Jake, if this were an intentional missile strike by Russia on Poland, our vital NATO ally, that would be a major escalation. But we do not know, I do not know at this hour exactly what happened in the southeastern corner of Poland earlier today. Press accounts state that two people were killed when something fell out of the sky, either the parts of a missile that had been intercepted um, or a missile strike. So First, I think we need to investigate more thoroughly and make sure that uh, we, the United States, uh, and folks uh, in the international media know exactly what happened. Um, And second, we need to give some time uh, for our close and vital ally, Poland, uh, whose national security leadership is currently still meeting, um, to come forward and say what they believe has happened and what response they're calling for. 
Poland's been one of the strongest and best allies in supporting Ukraine, welcoming millions of Ukrainian refugees, some of whom we met with when I was in Poland, and providing a critical base for material and supplies to flow into Ukraine. Um, so they are all in in supporting Ukraine in their uh, fight against Russian aggression. I think we need to give them the time to make sure this is thoroughly and properly investigated before we jump to a conclusion. Sure. And I just heard from a different congressional source who told me that it's unclear right now whether it was a Russian missile or a Ukrainian interceptor missile uh, or both. Um, but let me ask you, just devil's advocate, what's the difference if the Russians are firing missile after missile after missile into Ukraine onto the civilian population of Ukraine, even if it was a Ukrainian air defense system that landed in Poland, it's still true then that Russians are firing missiles over Poland. It's not the first time we've heard of uh, Russians invading uh, Polish airspace. And also they're, they're creating this entire situation. That's right, Jake. The unjustified, unprovoked, immoral invasion of Ukraine by Russia has been denounced by the United Nations General Assembly, obviously by the United States and our NATO partners. Um, and recently a vote was taken on the liability of Russia, Russia's responsibility to pay for the harm, the costs imposed by its aggression. Um, it was overwhelmingly uh, endorsed by those members of the UN who voted. Many abstained, uh, but those who voted pro or con, it was overwhelmingly in favor of liability for Russia. So whether or not this was a Russian missile or a Ukrainian interceptor, uh, the people who were killed, the property that was damaged, that's just one more outcome um, from Russia's unjustified aggression in Ukraine. The tides have been turning in favor of Ukraine over the past few months on the ground. Just last week, Ukrainians won back Kherson from Russian control. Do you think these rockets could be, because there is, without question, even removing this Polish situation from it, there is a barrage, a Russian barrage of missiles against Ukraine right now. Could this be Putin trying to shake up the war? Is it an act of desperation? What's your take? That's possible. Um, when I was in Kiev with Senator Portman of Ohio, we visited the headquarters of the National Power Utility. It's a single integrated nationwide grid built under the Soviet system. And the Russians have been targeting the power infrastructure, trying to put millions of Ukrainians into the cold and dark this winter. Winter is very cold in Ukraine. Um, and the administration has just sent to the Senate uh, earlier today a request for supplemental funding to provide humanitarian support for Ukraine, more military support for Ukraine, and budget support for Ukraine. I'm hopeful that my Republican colleagues will join us in funding another round of support for Ukraine so that they can be victorious. Um, the civilians who are at risk here from this latest barrage of Russian missile attacks in central and western Ukraine uh, are partly subject to attack at military sites, but mostly subject to attack at civilian sites, civilian infrastructure like power and water. So, Senator, let me just tell you, we have some breaking news. Uh, the Polish government says that it is invoking Article 4 of the NATO treaty. Article 5, of course, is the one that says if one NATO ally is attacked, it's as if every member of NATO has been attacked. Article 4 is consultation with other NATO partners about what to do next. Uh, what is your reaction to that news? Oh, that conveys that the polls take this very seriously, uh, and they are calling all NATO members uh, for um, an emergency consultation to come to a common course of action moving forward. Um, that's a significant step forward. 
Uh, I've been to NATO headquarters um, twice during the course of this conflict and several times as a senator um, and had the opportunity to visit with NATO representatives. Uh, we are very well staffed and represented at NATO headquarters. Uh, and I, I know this next step will be an important one. Um, I think that President Biden's leadership on the world stage, strengthening NATO, strengthening the Western response to Russia's aggression in Ukraine, representing us at the G20 in a face-to-face -face with President Xi of, of uh, China uh, just in the last few days, and representing us uh, at the Global Climate Summit in Egypt. Um, all of this is a part of his leadership and strengthening NATO, strengthening our forward deployment of American troops and our investment in common security and common defense is a key part of his accomplishments so far as our president. Mm -hmm. All right, Democratic Senator Chris Coons from the Small Wonder State, Delaware. Thanks so much. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Jake. Ahead, the new projections just in the last hour putting Republicans even closer to controlling the House of Representatives and a major hurdle cleared today for Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on his way to becoming Speaker. Stay with us. And topping our politics lead, a shift in the balance of power just in the last hour with two new races called by CNN. Democrats now have won 205 seats in the House. Republicans now have 216. That means Republicans are only two seats shy of the 218 needed to win the majority. There are 14 seats that remain uncalled. Today, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy won his party's nomination to become leader of the House Republican Caucus. Sources tell CNN the vote was 188 to 31. That is 30 votes shy of what he will need in a future vote to lock up the speaker's title. Let's discuss. So, Gloria Borgia, let me start with you. Both Pelosi and Paul Ryan failed to secure 218 votes from their parties during this initial stage to become leader mm -hmm. of their party, which is right. not the same thing as becoming speaker of the House. Notably, they both had at least 200 votes. McCarthy does not. Does McCarthy have, is there a risk here that he won't actually become speaker? There is a risk, um, but we've seen other people not get the required uh, 218 votes in a, in a private caucus before, you know, namely Paul Ryan, for example, who became speaker. So he's going to have to have a lot of work to do, a bit of horse trading. But the question is, and I think Charlie knows a lot about this, the question is, what do these conservatives want? The Freedom Caucus. You know, they, one of the things they want is to be able to call, recall the speaker whenever they want, with, with a, you know, just somebody coming on the floor and saying, oh, we ought to have a new speaker, and then let's have a vote on it if the speaker does something they don't like. I don't think they're going to get that, but they're, he's going to have to give them something. And the question is, what? What would he be willing to do? What do you think? Well, I, I tend to agree with Gloria. He, he does not have 218 votes today. He can get there. But how many concessions does he make? What demands are going to be made of him? He, why would you weaken yourself? take a job that, you know, don't give your opponents the rope with which to hang you, which could happen. Uh, and so he's got to be careful. And by the way, if he can't get 218 Republican votes, or if no Republican can, that could actually set up an interesting scenario where you would actually need a, a coalition speaker, that Republican and Democrat. In fact, after 2015, I've never really said this publicly, but before Paul Ryan stepped up, I had Democrats approach me. They were sent to see me about, you know, get some votes, We'll provide the balance. And it never took off. Then Paul Ryan stepped in. But the point is, this has happened in Pennsylvania. It's happened in Texas. where you have had these types of speakers who are elected with a bipartisan coalition. Now, that might force the hard right, those people who will never vote for McCarthy or saying they'll never vote for McCarthy, that might force them back into the fold if there is a risk of having to share power with the Democrats. And this isn't just academic, Nicholas. I mean, look, 
right now there are 216 Republicans. They're going to have a slim majority. Um, But if 31 who voted for Congressman Andy Biggs, far-right member from Arizona, if 31 of them, if they hold fast, then he doesn't have the votes. And Congressman Don Bacon, who is a moderate from Omaha, he has said maybe there would be need to be a deal struck with Democrats where the non-far-right-wing Republicans band with a, bond with Democrats and, and create, a, obviously it would be a Republican, but a, a more moderate Republican speaker. I think we're a long ways away from anything like a Speaker Liz Cheney, for example. I think uh, no, he Mr. said he said Liz Cheney's off the table. He did say Liz Cheney's off the table. Yeah, hey, I think that was very much a hypothetical that a lot of Republicans, uh, you know, don't think is anywhere near a possibility. But there is a real danger here, as we've been saying, uh, that that Leader McCarthy might not actually get to 218 votes. He's definitely not going to get that from Democrats, even though some Republicans did try to reach out to one moderate Democrat, uh, Congressman Henry Cuellar of Texas, uh, to try to bring him over to their side. He rejected them. But that's, that's coming from a sign of weakness, not from a sign of strength. And this is the, this is the bigger problem for McCarthy. Uh, even if he becomes uh, Speaker of the House and you have to give, give him the odds that that will happen, uh, this far-right caucus uh, is really going to have power with him. And as much as he wants to steer a conservative agenda that has to do with lower taxes, etc., they're going to be wanting to do all sorts of things that might hurt that agenda. Yeah, that's the problem of this very narrow, you know, that's remember McCarthy was saying he was going to pick up 60 seats, right? That would be a different scenario. But now he has this very, very narrow majority. And so these people are really empowered. And so I think what we're going to see is, you know, horse trading, him offering to give away his children's inheritance, whatever he has to do, <laughs> right? To, though, they're going to do yeah, to try to, to try to, you know, get, get enough power to be able to stand up to these people. But I think what we're going to see is that they're going to have a lot of control over him. And um, I don't see any incentive for Democrats to cross over because how could you possibly trust McCarthy, A, right. and, and B, what could they even agree on? Uh, you know that would that wouldn't repel that wouldn't repel the far right that has much more influence over the party. Yeah, there's a sequencing problem here. You on January 3rd, they're going to vote for Speaker first. Then they vote on the rules changes. But if you're a pragmatic governing member, you might say, "Hey, I'm going to vote for Kevin McCarthy, but I'm not going to agree to those changes with the Freedom Caucus. I'm not going to agree to that." Then what? I mean, the Freedom Caucus—they're not stupid. That's a two. It's just a two-step dance. So I, that's another thing they have to consider. These rule change, the more that Kevin would negotiate to the hard right, he's going to alienate his more pragmatic members. Yep. And that's going to create a lot of friction. I, I think there's another question here, which is that suddenly Donald Trump wants McCarthy yeah. as speaker. And, you know, they've had an on-again, off-again relationship. After January 6th, we all remember that, that McCarthy went to go kiss the ring at Mar-a-Lago so he could get his support uh, for the, this campaign. How much influence now will Donald Trump have, even on the right, on the Freedom Caucus, to say, okay, yeah, because Donald Trump wants you, we're going to, you know, we're going to vote for you? Probably very little right now, I would think, which, I, you know, two weeks ago, I wouldn't have thought that. And, Nicholas, there's this interesting thing going on in the Senate where uh, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, two uh, more extreme MAGA senators who are at least partly responsible for what happened on January 6th. Uh, they uh, are out there blaming Mitch McConnell for the Republicans not taking the majority. The McConnell people would say, Holly and Cruz are the problem. They were supporting all these far-right candidates that had no chance of winning election in Arizona and Pennsylvania, 
etc. But there looks like there's going to be a, a challenge to Mitch McConnell's leadership position. It looks like there really will be. And, and challenges uh, to, to a leader are, are somewhat rarer in the Senate than they are in the House. Um, this looks like the kind of contest that Mitch McConnell can win. Uh, he's said as such. He thinks he has the votes. But again, as, as with Leader McCarthy, even if he comes out on top here, will this be a perfect victory for him, right? Will, will this be a victory uh, that will weaken him as a leader? It's interesting. And I think that they just changed the law in Kentucky so that if you retire from the Senate, the governor doesn't automatically get to pick uh, who replaces you because the governor in Kentucky is a Democrat. Yeah. I think they changed the law. I think he, the governor tried to, what is his name, Bashir? He vetoed it, and now there's an, over, an override of it because they want, Mitch McConnell wants the ability to retire early yeah. if he wants to retire. Yeah, but he's pro- he probably will retain his power. Right. I mean, Rick Scott is not very popular, first of all, in the caucus. Second of all, Mark the date where I'm def- going to defend Mitch McConnell. Um, it, the, the idea that somehow he is responsible and Rick Scott, who ran the committee responsible for electing Republicans, is not. is just bananas. Indeed it is, but it's a bananas kind of year. <laughs> Thanks to all. This programming note, former Vice President Mike Pence will join me for a live scene in Town Hall. That's tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern, only here on CNN. Coming up here on The Lead... The water crisis that has plagued the city of Jackson, Mississippi for decades, and now a plan to help just announced by the Biden administration. Stay with us. And we're back with a CNN exclusive now. The mayor of Uvalde, Texas, says he was shocked by the revelation and new audio obtained by CNN that Uvalde's acting police chief knew, knew that children were alive in Robb Elementary School last May and needed to be rescued but officers failed to intervene nonetheless. CNN's Shimon Prokopis is in Uvalde. Shimon, you just spoke with the mayor. What is he telling you? Yeah, Jake, we just finished the interview with the Uvalde mayor, Don McLaughlin. He tells us, that obviously, that he's frustrated, but he is shocked by this new information, as you said. And as a result of this new information that they are just seeing for the first time here in the city of Uvalde, that the lieutenant... Mariano Pargas, who was the subject of our story last night, that he will be gone, that he will not be a lieutenant with the Uvalde City uh, of Police by the end of the week. He also said he's frustrated by the overall investigation that's being conducted by the Texas Department of Public Safety, and he feels there's actually a cover-up here. Take a listen to what he said. I think if we'd have had this, all this, and I think if we would have had your video and what we saw and everything we saw last night, I, I think Mariano would have been gone sooner, in my opinion. Would have been gone. Because you feel that this is direct evidence of... It, it just goes to show what we originally put him on leave for, his failure to act and set up a command situation. And then as an acting chief of police, he gets this information and did nothing with it, in my, that what I saw. This smells of a cover-up to no end for me from the DPS side, because there's been no, no there's been no transparency, no forthcoming with honesty and so forth. And so, Jake, on that audio that we obtained exclusively and we aired last night, uh, you hear the lieutenant calling a dispatcher, trying to get more information, trying to learn more details about a 911 call that a child inside that classroom called to report that students were alive, that there were also, sadly, some uh, dead children as well. But it is because, the mayor says, because he failed, because the lieutenant failed to act, 
failed to lead and take a command and order, off, order officers inside that classroom, he wants him gone. Now, the lieutenant has been on leave from the police department. He's been on paid leave. Jake, we don't exactly know what this means by him being gone. Is he going to be fired or if he's going to be allowed to resign? But the bottom line is the mayor says by the end of the week, He's no longer going to be part of the police department. And the other thing, Jake, just quickly, what I think it's important to point out is the fact that information is continuing to be withheld from city officials here in Uvalde is a problem because they're not able to make certain decisions about their police department, about people that need to be removed from the police department, about their internal investigation without this information. And they are only learning it because we are able to obtain it. We are able to report on it. And they are then taking action, Jake. That's right, Shimon Prokopez. Uh, you are doing, you are providing the transparency and accountability uh, that the government and law enforcement of Uvalde, Texas are refusing to provide uh, for those poor families in Uvalde. Thank you again for that excellent journalism. And honestly, I don't know how any of those people live with themselves. Also on our national lead, a new plan just announced to deal with Jackson, Mississippi's water crisis. This comes more than two months after Jackson, Mississippi's main water treatment facility failed. CNN Sarah Seidner is in Jackson for us. Sarah, the Biden administration has announced a long-term plan to help here. How so? That's right. You know, look, this is the fourth time that the EPA administrator has been here in Jackson. He's been here over a year's time, partly because of the situation with the water in this town. And the proposal is that the EPA is going to be here for the long haul. And what he wants to make sure of is that there is someone that has oversight to fix the water problems that have plagued this city that is predominantly black, that's plagued this city for years. It wasn't just what happened in August where residents didn't have water for weeks on end that they could drink, uh, but it is a problem that has gone over for at least a decade, according to residents. Here's what he had to say about how this would all work. People have lost trust in their government. And so this will give transparency to the process, but also having a federal court in Jackson's backyard oversee and call fair shots is exactly what we need to rebuild not only the infrastructure, but the trust that the community has lost. So this means you are not going anywhere as the EPA administrator and the EPA itself is going to be here to try to get things done. Uh, we're going to be here for the long haul. So you hear him say there, we're going to be here for the long haul. That is the proposal. It has to be agreed upon, though, by the state and local officials. We are expecting there to be some sort of a, a vote on this, which the mayor would then have to sign, and then the EPA will be right back in here overseeing, fixing the water problem finally here in Jackson. Jake. All right, Sarah Seidner in Jackson for us. Thank you so much. Coming up next, a mother who knows all too well the dangers of social media, and she's here in Washington, D.C., and here on The Lead with an urgent message every parent needs to listen to. Stay with us. An important story for parents and kids now in our national league, social media and the real-life consequences when it comes to children's mental health in particular. A group of parents with children who have died by suicide who have, who, or who have struggled with cyberbullying are now trying to take action. Joining me now is one of them, Kristen Bride. She's one of the parents who went to Capitol Hill today to urge lawmakers to try to hold social media companies accountable. She's the mother of 16-year-old Carson, who tragically ended his life in 2020 after being uh, cyberbullied on Snapchat. Since Carson's passing, uh, his mother has become an outspoken advocate trying to hold big tech companies accountable. Kristen, thank you so much 
for being here. I cannot imagine what you're going through, and I appreciate that you are putting yourself through it to help other kids and help other parents to try to make some some sense of this madness. First of all, before we get to what you're doing, tell us about your son. Tell us about what kind of person he was. Carson had amazing blue-green eyes, super affectionate, um, loved people, um, had a great sense of humor. Um, He taught kids skiing and loved to act. Um, And and he has left a, a permanent hole in our family. I'm sure, and I'm sure not just your family, but at people who knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you and other parents who have been through this nightmare, what are you asking lawmakers to do? We are here asking for COSA, the Kids Online Safety Act, to be passed. It has bipartisan support, and it will go a long, long way in helping to create guardrails for our kids online. And what, what would it do? Um, Many things. Um, One thing that it would do is require social media companies to have a duty of care to our children. Carson was cyberbullied on anonymous apps on the back end of Snapchat. And traditionally, every single anonymous app has led to teen cyberbullying and suicides. Yet, Even though through a national class action lawsuit, we were able to get um, SNAP to suspend the two anonymous apps that were used to cyberbully my son, immediately following two other ones, NGL and SendIt, went viral and are charging kids $10 a week for useless hints for who is messaging them. And so what does that mean? Just to explain, it's charging $10 a week for what? Useless hints. Um, so you get a mean? message like, um, may have an iPhone 13, or you may be able to ride your bike to their house. And there's some questions. In oh, the- just letting them know about other people that they could Snapchat with if they want to. Um, no, if they're being bullied online, they'll want to know who is sending them the message. Okay. And so these companies are charging an additional $10 a week to give kids a message or a hint as to who is doing it, but it's not ever going to give them the information that they need. Uh, so you want, the, you want the apps to be able to tell the people who is bullying them so something, some action can be taken? I, I want social media companies to be held accountable for their products. We know that anonymous apps are dangerous. We need to have a process where these products are reviewed like every other industry before they go and get marketed to millions of young users. So what about the idea that maybe kids should not have access to social media? Uh, that that uh, kids bully each other. I have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old, and I know it doesn't matter what I say or what teachers say, like, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, not that parents and teachers shouldn't be on top of it, but it's going to happen and maybe the anonymity of social media uh, is, is too much for people under 18 to, to take. Um, that's a great idea. I would love it. We waited until Carson was in eighth grade to give him a phone, right. with no apps on it. We talked to him about how you behave online. And in the end, when he was being cyberbullied, he followed all of our rules. He never lowered himself to the levels of his abusers, and he asked them to swipe up and identify themselves so they could talk things out in person. 
And even after having these conversations, waiting until he was high, in high school to have Snapchat, yet this still happened to us. Yeah. In Oregon, you helped pass a bill in June 2021 known as Carson's Law. It requires school districts to report bullying incidents to both the parents of the victim and the aggressor. Um, has, has that worked? Has that made any positive change in Oregon? I hope so. I don't have kids in the school system anymore, but I um, was really happy to see when it went out to all the school districts and it was called Carson's Law. Um, so they are now accountable for telling the parents of both the victim and the aggressor of incidents of bullying. And you've mentioned how Carson kept it a secret that he was being cyberbullied. What advice would you give to parents who feel as though they are trying to be as on top of it as you are and you were um, and they're concerned about their children's mental health. But, you know, there's just so much you can get from your kids if they don't want to share something. Right. And, and in the case of uh, cyberbullying, it's been reported that only 12 percent tell their parents because they're so addicted to their phones. They right. don't want it taken away or right. they don't want to be seen as a snitch. Yet it, it's also reported that 60 percent of kids are cyberbullied. 60 percent. And then yeah. obviously one of the other issues there, the snitch thing is a big thing because they know that they tell their mom or dad, then the mom and dad's going to want to do something and then reach out to the other parents and then blow back your snitch, your, your baby. Right, right. So, I, you know, I go back to the social media companies themselves and their need to have a duty of care like every other industry yeah. and every other product in America to our kids. And they're making billions of dollars. They are. They're making billions of dollars. Thank you so much for this and for your activism and for caring. I really appreciate it. No. My deepest condolences on your son and, and may his memory be a blessing mm. in your activism. Yeah. Thank you. Remember, if you or anyone you care about needs to talk to a crisis counselor, you can contact the Suicide Prevention Lifeline by calling or texting 988. That's 988. And we'll be right back. Our out-of-this-world lead for all you night owls out there. The countdown is on for NASA's latest attempt to launch its first Artemis moon mission. The launch window opens just after 1 a.m. Eastern and goes until 3 a.m. NASA is hoping this third time will be the charm after technical problems prevented two launch attempts in August. The rocket also survived last week's hit from Hurricane Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. Again, the launch window opens just after 1 a.m. Eastern tonight. It is the most powerful rocket ever built and should be quite a sight. Our coverage now continues with one Mr. Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. I will see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.